As a mother, wife, and divorce attorney for over 15 years, experience has taught me a lot about how to deal with times of uncertainty, transition, and facing opportunities for growth. I'm happy you're joining me for this part of the journey. As a divorce attorney, I know that when people are facing divorce, it is oftentimes a period of grief over the loss of a relationship and fear over an uncertain future. Of course, these are times of fear and uncertainty for all of us. And one of the things I have really learned from my clients is how powerful hope is during times of fear and uncertainty. In my own life, I have been blessed to have very influential people who have helped provide me with examples of hope. And I am so excited to have one of the most influential people here with me today. The Right Reverend Dr. James M. Stanton served as the Bishop for the Episcopal Diocese of Dallas for 22 years. He's coming up on his 28th anniversary of being a Bishop in the Episcopal Church. And he is also a man I happen to call Dad. <laughs> I'm very happy to have you here with me today, Dad, to talk about hope and facing times of grief and uncertainty. Well, I am I'm pleased to be able to be here and also to talk about this particular topic. Uh, hope is something that is in short supply, it seems today. And that's really troubling because we see the results or consequences of a lack of hope, not only in cases that you have to deal with, but in our young people, children, uh, it, it seems that uh, there's no way forward but from hope. But there, hope is, is uh, seems to be, uh, in general uh, parlance, hope seems to be the weakest of all the emotions. It's so easy to lose hope, and it's so easy to ignore hope as a key to making progress as we move forward. And I, I'm happy to be able to talk about that some too, out of pastoral experience and my own experience. You know, it really dawned on me as, um, as I was sitting in my own time of darkness, quite literally, we were just had the snowmageddon a week ago, <laughs> um, how important hope was and that, you know, that's kind of a, a silly time. I mean, it wasn't a significant time, but even sitting in that dark space, I felt, I felt assured that things were going to get better. And it really caused me to stop and think about how powerful hope is. And you're right, it's something that's so easy to lose. And yet when we have hope, it is so powerful in pulling us through those periods of time. It turns out to be one of the three great uh, characteristics, virtues, if I may put it that way, uh, disciplines that one should develop in the Christian faith. Again and again, uh, we hear from St. Paul, for example, faith, hope, and charity, or giving love, sacrificial love. So those three things seem to be interwoven and go together. And of course, all of them have to do with who we see ourselves as, where we stand in the world, how we conceive of the importance of our lives. It, for a Christian, that all has to do with God, and God as the source of all three of those things, really, hope, faith, and love. How do you define hope? What is hope? Well, hope 
is something we look forward to. It's, it's something that is drawing us forward. It's different from expectation, isn't it? Because we expect the sun to come up tomorrow, so we don't hope for that. Uh, I su suspect that hope is probably expectations uh, beyond what we would normally expect in the course of events. On the other hand, hope is more than mere optimism, and that's why it can be so powerful. It's not just having a happy, you know, be happy, don't worry kind of attitude about life. Hope is grounded in something. It has to be grounded in something to be meaningful. When I say grounded, it has to have a foundation. We hope for uh, something, even oddly enough, in situations where we're we're completely defeated and completely without any reason to hope. That's why it's so related to faith. Faith is not simply uh, believing when you have no evidence or you have no reason. It's quite the opposite. Faith is very strong. But faith and hope are both grounded in something beyond me and that is powerful and I take to be true and I will move on that basis. Faith is trust. It's investing your life in something. I suppose the basic question is, what is that? We live in a world today where so many people are sold a bill of goods. You know, life is an accident. It just emerged, it's just evolving. Uh, there is no ultimate meaning in the universe. There is no, everything is just accidental. The very fact that we're here on this planet, it's just an accident. There are probably other people on billions and billions of other planets somewhere else. We have no evidence of any of that, of course. What we do have are two indelible senses. One, life is not just an accident. This universe is so finely tuned for life as we're finding out more and more all the time. Is that just an accident? Does it come from something or someone? The other thing is we have an indelible sense that I belong here. I'm not everything I want to be, but my life has meaning. My relationships have meaning. Children in my life have meaning. Uh, I, my job has meaning. If I lack any the sense of meaning, then I really do cave in. So we have these two, two senses that there is something mysterious and powerful about life itself, and two, that my life, while a mystery to me in many ways, is also significant. Now, where do they come from? I didn't create it. I just popped up one day, and here I am living this life and thinking these things and asking these questions. Is there something real out there that corresponds to it? Is it something drawing me out? And can that be trusted? That's the basic question. That's great. When you were talking about um, hope, I, it came to my mind that, you know, there's, there is, there's an internal something that has spark, right? That happens. It's a desire mm -hmm. and coupled with an expectation, a belief that it's going to happen. Faith is an important part of hope, but it is also trusting that, that it's going to happen you have to be propelled forward by action. You have to take action, right? And so I've always, I've heard you talk about how faith is actually a verb. It's not right. something right. that we just possess. 
Um, and maybe we talk a little bit about, about faith um, here too, as a verb, because I think it's a really important concept. Yeah, your life, you're, you're investing your life all the time. You're investing your life in the notion that the sun will come up tomorrow. You're investing your life in a career or some kind of job path or in finding some kind of job. You're investing your life in a relationship. Um, that's faith. That all takes faith. Uh, I have no assurance the sun will come up tomorrow, and I have no assurance that if I pursue the course and, and, and do my very best that I'll get anywhere. I have to trust, but at the same time that I'm trusting that there is some reason to move forward, I'm investing my life. Now, that's the picture. Uh, in both the biblical languages, Hebrew and Greek, faith is a verb. It's not a noun. It's not, it's not something we have. It's something we do. And so I'm, I'm, when I'm called to faith, I'm not called to believe a laundry list of a bunch of things that may or may not be true about God. I'm called to invest myself in the idea of God, in the person of God, in the power of God to carry me forward. So faith is, uh, is absolutely vital. There are a couple of other words that come into play. Hope. Uh, St. Paul says in his Roman letter, uh, we were saved by hope. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Mm. What do we mean? You're, you're going to go to heaven? Well, that's part of it. But to be saved in the Hebrew language means to come into an open space, to be liberated, to be freed. To be saved in the Latin or the, in the Greek and the Latin was to be healed, to be made whole. Well, you can see that both those things relate. Hope brings us into an open space where we can breathe, we can look around. We don't have to do so in fear, and we don't have to shudder. We can say, here, God is leading me into something. It's unknown. I don't have to fear it. Um, and that's a very powerful thing about faith. Faith is investing myself in that. At the same time, Paul talks about hope and salvation. We're being saved by hope. Hope brings us into that open space. Then he talks about patience. And that too is a very powerful world. It sounds so passive to us. We just have to be patient for something to happen to us. But that's not, not the language. It's, it's a, a, a special Greek word that means endurance. That means pressing forward, standing firm uh, at a time when you're in the midst of uncertainty. So hope produces impatient, or, uh, patience, <laughs> endurance, and that, he says, produces character. Character. We're being forged as persons by our life situation. We may not be able to choose the life situation. One thing we can choose is trusting God, moving forward, and taking a stand that's very active. And it's liberating, literally coming into an open space. I love that because in these, these times of challenges, whatever those times are, I mean, we're humans, we're all going to face challenges, whether it's loss of a loved one, loss of a relationship, whatever that looks like. And, and when we face those challenges to really see the opportunity to be forged, to mm -hmm. have our character forged. Mm -hmm. And we get to choose that. We have choices where we, that we get to make in terms of how we're going to confront those situations. One of the greatest influences in my life was a man by the name of Viktor Frankl. Mm -hmm. He was a, a psychologist and 
he uh, was a victim of, uh, of the Holocaust. He was put into a prison in Nazi Germany. Um, and he, uh, he experienced all the deprivation and dehumanization that all of that conjures up. But he said it's amazing that people, even in that circumstance where they have absolutely no control, where there were some who survived and there were those who just withered away and died. The ones who survived had a kind of positive uh, characteristic. They, they believed that there was meaning to life, even their own life, and so they would live that out every moment. Frankel's basic message was, we don't always have a choice about where we are, but we do have a choice about who we are as we see ourselves and move into those moments. And that's where uh, hope can sustain us, that endurance quality can propel us actually forward and transform the darkness. Well, we know hope is so incredibly powerful by the fact that we also see when people are without hope, mm. it actually leads to death, doesn't mm. it? Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about uh, tools and resources in the Christian faith, because obviously we're Christian. So um, what what tools do you use to help people who maybe are in a pastoral situation where they're facing a time of darkness and they're not feeling the hope? How do you how do you help encourage people through that? One of the things, of course, I think a, a, a large answer to this question has to do with how Christians are prepared. Uh, we take a lot for granted. Uh, the scriptures are there. Almost every, at least, Christian home has a Bible sitting around someplace, but we never read it. We don't get into it. We buy the notion that somehow it's so complicated and so uh, hard to interpret. And it's not. It's like listening uh, to uh, a fascinating story from a, a relative, long lost relative, telling a story about how he went through certain or she went through certain difficulties, what challenges they faced and so forth. It, we think the Bible is a bunch of rules. It's not a bunch of rules. It does lay down some principles, just as we've been talking here about St. Paul and his talk about hope and saving, the saving hope and, and patience and so forth. But, so number one, I would say get to know Scripture. If you have free time, if you have some moments when you don't know what to do, read some scripture. Don't start at the beginning and read it straight through. Just take it a chapter at a time. And, and for Christians, that always means to start with Jesus and one of the Gospels. I think another thing is prayer. Prayer is not complicated. We come from an Anglican tradition that has a prayer book, but we would always teach people how to pray in fact, that's the intention of the prayer book, not to limit your prayers to formal, uh, a formal exercise, but how to just talk from the heart and what to talk about. Uh, the Psalms are a wonderful gift to us, and it's interesting that a good many of those Psalms are, are, are cries of a person 
who feels abandoned, who feels alone, who feels angry with God, and still is able to express uh, all of those real feelings. Um, we need to be able to talk to God and pour out our feelings to him. And we need to just become conscious of his presence. Another discipline in the, in, uh, from the ancient past is uh, something that was taught by a monk. And it's called practicing the presence of God. His name was Brother Lawrence. And he would simply say what we need to do early in the morning and throughout the day is just take a quiet time and practice the presence of God. Become aware of the presence of God. And this is something uh, that has helped me greatly throughout the years, just to start the morning with a um, a sight setting. I am a child of God and all this day he's going to be walking with me. That sort of thing helps as a discipline. The, the solution to a problem often doesn't come immediately in any discipline. It comes out of experience with the discipline. As we grow in faith, the more we give that uh, time to that element of our life, uh, the more it equips us to deal with new and unforeseen complications along the way. I remember um, as a teenager coming to you with a question because I was praying a lot, um, mainly probably because I wanted some boy to call me or something. And felt like I wasn't praying correctly, you know, and so I, I came to you to ask you about how do I pray? Because I think a lot of people mistake prayer as sort of a wish list. It's like my letter to Santa and that God's going to go through the checklist and give me all of these things. And then when I don't get all of those things on my list, it feels like he's not listening to me. What tips can you, you already have shared with us some really valuable insight, but um, I want to just explore that a little bit deeper in terms of, you know, what is prayer intended to do if it's not a wish list? Yeah, the, the the flip side of that, of course, is that it tells us a lot about how we see God. Mm -hmm. God is the servant. <laughs> and if he doesn't give us what we ask for, well, then maybe what's going wrong here is that uh, uh, he doesn't value us or something like that. It's quite the opposite. We're God's servants, aren't we? We're the servants of the creator who gave us this ultimately amazing universe and is seeking us. He, he loves us with an infinite love, but not all things are good for us. He, what we need to do is be servants of him. Not ask, what can God do for me, but what can I do for God? To sort of paraphrase a famous uh, speech in the past. It really is true. Who am I before God? And just reflecting on that opens the door to letting God in to more of our life. You know, Jesus used an, a parable. He said, the, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all possible seeds. But when you plant it, it becomes this huge flourishing plant that provides home to the birds of the air and shade from the heat and all kinds of benefits. If we just plant that little seed, if we just let God into our lives, and we do it because we want to know him and love him, 
he does open up doors that we can't see any possible way of getting through. Jesus had one of the most optimistic teachings, I would say hope-filled teachings, when he said, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. But we've got to do the seeking, we've got to do the asking, we've got to do the, the, the knocking. Um, and that is a, a powerful statement. If I trust Jesus, if I trust the God of Jesus, I'm going to be looking at that, how I do that every day. That is, um, it, it is so powerful. And I, I know one of the things I felt, and probably there are others who have felt this way too, is almost a fear to ask, right? Because of a sense of disappointment that if I ask God to answer my prayer in this way, um, and then it doesn't happen, that I'm going to, I'm going to feel disappointed. But yet it takes courage to ask. And it also takes courage to know ultimately that the answer to prayer is God's providence. And it may be answered in a way that ultimately is best for me um, or for this situation. But I don't have the vantage point of understanding that. There's an aspect to prayer that I think reflects the very character of God himself. If we think about it in Christian terms, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. That means God is a community in himself, and he's calling us into greater community with him. So prayer is not just a me and God thing. Mm. Ultimately, it has to involve the larger community. Because, you know, the closer I grow to God, if God is the center, the closer I grow to God, the closer I'm going to grow to others. This is why we have community, why community is such an important thing. I think it's important for me in moments when I have need to ask others to pray for me, not just pray for myself. I, I, I want to serve God and his purpose. I want others to help me see that. All right, so we invite others into our prayer, into our needs, and that makes us vulnerable. You're right. But in other ways, it, it strengthens us. It helps us to see that, in fact, we're not alone. Uh, that's one aspect of the prayer thing. And it's not just asking. It's saying, how can I be more faithful? How can I be more, uh, more hopeful? How can I be a greater witness to the faith that is in me? So in terms of the tools that we've covered so far, we've talked about scripture and picking up the Bible and reading it and learning from it. We've talked about the power of prayer and we've talked about community and how important it is that we stay a part of community. I wanna ask you about another tool in the toolbox, <laughs> which is the sacraments. And I, I understand not all Christians um, know or understand sacraments, and that's okay. But what is your sacramental understanding um, in terms of how sacraments nourish us? Uh, when Jesus took bread and, and broke it and gave it to his disciples, uh, he said, uh, do this in remembrance of me. In part, the sacraments keep us mindful of uh Jesus in our life and how we're serving him. But he also said, my, 
my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. This was a, a turnoff to those who heard him. Uh, even some of his own disciples said to him, you need to have a, a focus group to consider how this is going across. Uh, they came to him and they said, what are, you, what are you talking about here? But that was before uh, the great event of Easter. That was before his death and resurrection. After his resurrection, he revealed himself in the bread that was shared in community. A sacrament is a, an outward sign, a visible sign. Uh, when a priest lays hands upon a person for healing or ordination or confirmation, or when a person is baptized into water, or when we receive uh, bread and wine in the Eucharist or the Mass, these things are outward and visible signs of something God is doing inwardly. Now, if I trust God, then I'm going to trust these actions too. So the sacraments can really strengthen our, our souls, our, our spirits, the essential us. I don't mean some little ghost figure somewhere, but I mean the real us that God knows and loves and cares about and wants uh, to draw to himself that involves our whole being. So we take the sacraments, we receive the sacraments. They too can help in a very tangible way. I can go along and say, God, you know, God likes you so much, he forgives you. But when I say in the name of God, I absolve you, uh, that's a different, that's a sacrament. That is using God's authority, which he's given to us, to be sure that you understand he forgives. And the same is true of this sacrament of uh, anointing with oil or confession, or any of the sacraments. They're meant to be actual um, transactions, we might say, uh, touch and word that strengthens our souls so that we can serve him. And what he promises to do, he will carry through on. One, um, you you have a great way of distinguishing between sacrament and magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, magic is uh, something we we use uh, physical things to kind of change the the spiritual world. Right. Uh, and that's uh, that. You know, I don't know. That's uh, uh, that's manipulative. Uh, a, a sacrament is a way in which God uses physical things to change us. And this really goes back to uh, two things. Uh, one, it goes back to the whole idea of Adam and Eve in the garden. What is sin? And, you know, if you look at that story, it's, it's a very compact story. I think it's something like 96 words in Hebrew. It's one of the shorter stories, but it's one of the most profound. And what happens in that story is that uh, the, 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 the serpent tries to convince Eve that if she just will take this fruit, God prohibited that fruit because he wanted to limit the human beings. But if they would just take that fruit, they could be like God. Mm -hmm. Never mind that the serpent has no power to dispense that upon the person. 
Uh, and God has already made the human being, male and female, in his image and likeness. Nevertheless, it was a trick. And the, we've been trying to do that ever since. I, I put it this way. The sin in the garden was to be God for ourselves. We wanted to replace God. I want to be in control of my life. I want to have charge. I want to make sure that what happens in the future expresses my will. Now, God, who cares? But my will, that's the most important thing. That's human sin, and we're still doing that. Just notice every commercial you listen to on television is going to tell you about how to change your life and gain control. Uh, and the other thing is how we conceive of God. God appears to Moses and says, I will be with you. That's my name. God appears to Abraham and calls Abraham in the very first place and says, I will be with you, and Abraham trusted God. God is a promise. God makes promises. That's why he expects us to keep our promises, to be faithful. God is faithful, so we must be faithful. These two things come together. I keep trying to have my own way and create my own world. I'm never going to do as well, as well as God has done, and I'm driving myself farther from him. God is a God of promise and is faithful to his promises and will keep them. I have a ground for hope. I have a ground that gives me freedom to move in there and begin to know this God and serve him and be blessed by him. And then I don't have to keep carrying on that project of trying to make the world the way I want it. I'm hearing a correlation between a sense of wanting to be God in my own life and a loss of hope. <laughs> that's right. And the inverse I think is that's true. Right. That as we surrender to God, to the situation, to the circumstances, expecting and trusting in something better, that hope arises and is like that mustard seed, like faith. That's right. It's very powerful. Um, any other words of wisdom as we kind of close out our time together? You've seen a lot. You've, in your ministry, um, you've been a bishop for 28 years. You've been a minister for much longer than that, um, all of my life. <laughs> so that's at least 50 years. Um, and you've seen, you've seen a lot of disappointment. You've seen, you've seen prayers be unanswered, um, and people kind of have to struggle through grief. What, what words or kind of um, perspective can you share with us that you've acquired during your ministry? I would say St. Paul says it the best as he so often does. The suffering of this present time is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor principalities nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I think that's true. I believe that's true. I trust it. And that's the important thing that gives the indelible mark to Christians. I'm persuaded that nothing shall be able to separate us and so we're freed to take the next step. We're freed to make difficult decisions. We're freed to take chances 
and we don't have to do it our way. We can do it a step at a time. We can do it in community of love. We can do it with the presence of God in our own lives. That's the source of hope. So in the midst of pain and in the midst of facing maybe a divorce or a terminal illness or death, invite God into that process. That's right. That's right. Say yes to God. I have, uh, over the course of my ministry, I specialized in ministry to those who were uh, at death's door. I witnessed the transition in so many cases. And those who have a sense of uh, yes to God greeted that moment with peace. And uh, it was an amazing sort of thing. Yes, even at the edge of life, we can say yes to God and trust him with all our being. Thank you, Dad. If you have uh, enjoyed today's discussion, we would love to hear from you below. I would, if you're watching us on YouTube or on Facebook, please feel free to leave a comment and just let us know um, what you're thinking about when it comes to hope and feel free to share this message. Um, thank you. Thank you.